Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, a Minnesota cartoonist is selected to create this year's State Fair commemorative art. The legacy of Minnesota's century farms and tax season is underway in Minnesota. But first, as the update raged in Washington, D.C. about whether President Trump pressured the Ukrainian government to try to influence the outcome of the election in November, election security was also an issue this week in Minnesota. Bill Werner joins us with an update. Scott, things led off with Senate Republican Majority Leader Paul Gazelka promising a hard push in the upcoming legislative session to require voters show photo ID at the polls before receiving their ballot, something the Democrats strongly oppose. DFL Party Chairman Ken Martin says Minnesota did hand recounts of over 3 million ballots in the 2008 and 2010 elections. And in neither instance of those recounts was there massive voter fraud found. It's just a complete and utter misinformation. Gazelka responded with all the things that have been going on. Minnesotans want to know that their elections are secure. Meanwhile, State Representative Peggy Scott, a Republican from Andover, said this week she will introduce a bill to prohibit collecting information about voters' political party choice during the fast-approaching March 3rd Super Tuesday presidential primary. There's plenty of data out there on each of us, unfortunately, Um, but I just... I felt strongly being an advocate for people's private information and being a guardian of that. I just felt strongly that I needed to do something on this issue. Minnesota DFL Chairman Martin responded. He and Representative Scott share the same goal, but Martin warns Scott's bill would put the state Democratic and Republican parties in violation of their national party's rules. Well, we're not in compliance with the national party rules, then we won't be able to send our delegation to the national convention. Whether I agree with it or not, that's what I have to comply with. Otherwise, Minnesota will not have a voice at our national convention in Milwaukee. Republican State Representative Pat Garofalo from Farmington disagreed. They are not going to remove delegates that are duly apportioned from the state of Minnesota at their national conventions. If they did, it would be a political disaster for them in the state of Minnesota. Any bill would not only have to pass the Democrat-controlled Minnesota House, but also the GOP-controlled Senate, where Big Lake Republican Mary Kiffmeyer said this week, quote, voting in the primary has already started, and we can't change the rules now. The Iowa caucuses are Monday, and Senator Amy Klobuchar took advantage of breaks in the impeachment trial to get in some campaigning in the Hawkeye State. New York Times poll put Klobuchar's support in Iowa at 8%, while an Emerson poll shows her at 13%. Former Minnesota Agriculture Commissioner Dave Fredrickson on the stump for Klobuchar in Iowa said, I think there's a strong possibility. I think she can come in uh, third, uh, come in fourth, but... Whatever, uh, she still continues to make a strong case here in Iowa. The New York Times poll showed Bernie Sanders grabbing the lead in Iowa, 25%, followed by Pete Buttigieg, Joe Biden, Elizabeth Warren, and then Klobuchar in fifth place. In order for a presidential hopeful to capture a proportion of delegates in an Iowa precinct, 
They must hit a certain threshold of support at that meeting. In most cases, it's 15%. Klobuchar said this week she has no interest in an Iowa caucus night alliance with another presidential hopeful if that's necessary to boost her numbers in some precincts to the minimum required to win delegates. We have no secret plans. We haven't been backstabbing people or doing oppo things on them. Um, And I think in the end, uh, that's what the people of Iowa want. Back in Washington, D.C., Klobuchar told CNN... I'm off the presidential campaign trail right now. but I'm doing my job. And to me, this is just a microcosm, regardless of what happens with impeachment. This is what we're talking about on the trail. It is an economic check, yes. That's what most of our debates are about. What's the best economic agenda? But for me, someone that brings in independents, moderate Republicans, it's also a patriotism check. It's a decency check. And there are people coming to my events, we've had biggest crowds than we've ever seen, that are talking about that. And we've got to remember that. Those people know what this president did was wrong. Also this week, as stalemate with Republicans over insulin assistance continued, Minnesota Democrats announced they will introduce a bill to put a fee on manufacturers to help pay for an emergency program. House Speaker Melissa Hortman. We will pass the Alex Smith Emergency Insulin Act in the Minnesota House of Representatives again under DFL control for the second time. Governor Tim Walz saying... This is going to get very, very hot and difficult when these proposals are put into the light of day and you are looking at what is being accepted and rejected. The governor accused Republicans of bowing to lobbying pressure. The sticking point remains the same as it was in May of holding the pharmaceutical companies accountable. Senator Eric Pratt responded, the Republican proposal has the state paying for emergency insulin as a short-term bridge, but manufacturers providing free insulin after that for those who can't afford it. The governor and the House have kind of gone to their political corners while we've been trying to depoliticize this issue and work through a solution that was fair for the manufacturers, but really focused on the needs of the patient. Democrats object the GOP plan lets insulin manufacturers off the hook for a problem they created. Republicans respond Democrats are just trying to punish drug makers for political gain. And this week, court monitoring of the Archdiocese of St. Paul in Minneapolis now ends after a Ramsey County judge accepted a final progress report on tightened protocols to prevent clergy sex abuse. Ramsey County Attorney John Choi. The Archdiocese has uh, gone well beyond the, uh, the actual terms of the settlement agreement, and they have very much embraced and gone beyond what the spirit of this is all about. Archbishop Bernard Hebda apologized to victims of clergy sex abuse and pledged to continue working with the Ramsey County Attorney's Office. This is certainly not a time to relax. Quite the opposite. Hard, persistent work to maintain vigilance across the 12 counties of the archdiocese must continue. Also at this week's announcement, Joy Hoffman. Three of her sons were abused by former Catholic priest Curtis Waymire, and Hoffman acknowledged her son's courage and perseverance. I think it has brought us an instance of healing, a sense of hope, and an assurance that nothing like this will ever happen again, and that we have safety in our parish communities. Scott. Thank you, Bill. Minnesota Matters will return after this. It's Thursday night, and you're grabbing drinks with some friends. Started off with a pitcher for the table, which quickly becomes two. There's pool. And there's the photo booth. All right, everybody, squeeze in. Say cheese. Followed naturally by an order of wings. And another. Can we get some extra ranch sauce? Then there's the ceremonial nightcap. So what are we doing this weekend? 
And lastly, it's back to the car, which, if you're buzzed... ...could be the most expensive night of your life. Getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving, because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. Cartoonist and illustrator Kevin Cannon has been selected to create the official 2020 Minnesota State Fair commemorative art. His original interpretation of the great Minnesota get-together will be unveiled at the state fairgrounds in June. I recently spoke with Cannon about the honor. And I'm curious, how did you uh, find out the good news? You know, the funny thing is, first of all, yeah, it is a huge honor. I'm just floored. And I've actually been sitting on the news uh, for about a year, which has been uh, one of the hardest things I've had to do for a while, because, you know, it's an honor like this you want to tell all your family and friends. But, uh, yeah, I've been uh, waiting for this day to be able to, to um, make the news go public, so it's super exciting. Well, that's fantastic. And tell me a little bit about how the State Fair determines who the artist is going to be to create the commemorative art. Sure. Um, there is a, a group of people uh, sort of behind the scenes of the State Fair um, a lot of folks who are wonderful who I don't know their exact process. I just know that I was brought in. Um, you know, I did sort of an interview. They had seen my artwork around. Uh, you know, I do a lot of work with the Star Tribune, doing uh, illustrations for them, and I've done some comic books and things like that. So I guess my name was, was on a short list. Um, and so my understanding is that they just talked to a bunch of people and decided uh, I would be a good fit for this year. And like I said before, I'm just absolutely thrilled with that. You know, you mentioned that your artwork's been featured in the Star Tribune as well as other publications uh, throughout Minnesota. So I think a lot of folks that are listening, uh, without realizing it, may be familiar with your work. But uh, how would you describe your work? Um, well, I do a lot of different styles. Um, I sort of grew up, not grew up, but started my career um, as sort of a journeyman artist, like doing, you know, different styles that our directors would want. And slowly through the years, I've been doing this about two decades, uh, slowly through the years I've honed one style that I really like, which is sort of a, if people can imagine sort of a Where's Waldo style, sort of overhead map type cartoon. Um, I just love, I love taking locations, uh, especially a lot around, you know, the Twin Cities and uh, just drawing buildings and just sort of characters of buildings and things like that. Um, so I guess... Yeah, the style is just sort of hyper-detailed, a lot of fun. I try to put in you know, a lot of fun sort of Easter eggs and details, and I think the people get a kick out of that. In terms of goals, once you get a responsibility like this, did you have certain artistic goals in mind or things that you wanted to achieve with this particular work of art? Um, it Maybe, you know, I, I know you don't want to give too much away about it, but if there's something in general that you wanted to convey in the artwork that you could tell me about, that would be great. Yeah, I think with this piece, I really just wanted to, I wanted to create a piece of art that would match sort of the tone um, of the fair itself, if that makes sense. So I think, like, when I'm at the fair, personally, uh, I love um, sort of being inundated by, you know, the bright colors and, you know, the the smells of food and, you know, the um, just sort of the interesting things all around, being fascinated um, and sort of the feeling of discovery. And... I don't know. So it's those are, you know, some sort of abstract concepts. But I tried to uh, put that in the final piece, where 
uh, I think like a lot of the detailed stuff I do, it's, it really is about discovery and about enjoyment. And, you know, I want people to look at the piece and maybe they'll see something that they recognize from the fair and maybe it'll uh, remind them of, you know, some great memory that they had at the fair. And I don't know, that's, uh, that's sort of what I'm going for. As somebody who is from Minnesota and probably has a, a long history of going to the fair throughout your life, I'm curious, is there an element of the fair or a feature of the fair that is particularly um, special to you, and were you able to convey that in your artwork? Yeah, I, um, like you said, I, I have... I, I wish I could say I was one of these people that went every year, um, uh, and I haven't, but I definitely went as a kid and then later sort of in my early 20s and now as, as sort of an older adult and a parent. And I think I've, you know, taken things away from that, um, special memories, you know, different ones each time. So as a, as a kid, I loved the, you know, like the barnyard animals uh, and the farm animals so much. And as I got older, it was more about sort of the music and, uh, and the food especially. And so I think this, canvas that I'm working on um, has, because of the scope of it, it's given me a chance to really be able to kind of put a lot of those different memories in there. Um, so I, I don't know if there's there's one exactly. Um, I'm a new parent right now, so what I loved is uh, this past summer just kind of walking around uh, with my baby in a stroller and just sort of enjoying the fair from that perspective. And so there's a, there's a hint of that in the piece as well. Yeah, that's quite an experience when you uh, are able to bring children to the fair. It presents a whole set of challenges, but also you can appreciate the fair anew from sort of a different perspective. It really does. Yeah, it was such a special moment to to bring my little guy. And he, he lasted five hours uh, in the stroller, which uh, I was surprised he lasted that long. But uh, <laughs> yeah, he loved it, and I loved it. And I can't wait to uh, keep going to the fair with him year after year as he gets older. You know, Kevin, you're a professional, so you're you're used to um, creating things. But I'm wondering if there was a different kind of pressure on you for this particular project, since it is something that is obviously going to live for a long time, and it's going to be associated with the iconic State Fair. Did that present any sort of challenges for you? You know, I think the biggest challenge is just knowing how many eyeballs are going to be on it, and um, so there's you know sort of a pressure there of, you know, not really, what am I trying to say? I, I, I'm not necessarily going to make a piece that everyone is going to like, um, but I know that so many people have very different um, emotional attachments to the State Fair. And so to the, to the best of my ability, I'll try to create something, you know, that will sort of touch everyone uh, in a different way and in a positive way. So, yeah, I think the pressure is just, um, you know, wanting to, to make something that will, that will last and people will like and, uh, you know, and that's that's tough, but I, I don't know, knock on wood, I, I hope that'll happen. And Kevin, I imagine that there are folks that have been listening to this interview, if they haven't already, they're probably wondering, I wonder what this guy's artwork looks like. Where can they go to see it? Absolutely, yeah. They can go to kevincannon.org, and I've got a big portfolio on there, and they can see a lot of my styles. I have a lot of the stuff I've done for the Star Tribune, as well as Metro Transit and some other uh, local stuff. A lot, of, a lot of local maps up there they can take a look at. Fantastic. Well, again, congratulations on the honor. We can't wait to see what you've come up with, and I, I really appreciate uh, you taking the time today. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it, too. Minnesota Matters will return after this.
Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Each year at the Minnesota State Fair, some of the longest-running family-operated farms in the state are honored. Reporter J.W. Cox got more information from the Minnesota Farm Bureau Federation about this unique glimpse into Minnesota's agricultural past. Scott, for those running a family farm that's been around for at least 100 years, the time is now to submit an application to be a part of the Century Farm Program for 2020. I spoke with Kristen Harner about the application process and what the program means and the impact it has on our everyday lives in Minnesota. The Century Farm Program is sponsored by the Minnesota Farm Bureau Federation and the Minnesota State Fair as a way to honor our farm families that have Uh, achieved having a a farm in their family for a continuous 100 years. We also, the Minnesota Farm Bureau, also has a sesquicentennial farm program that recognizes families that have had the farm continuously in their family for 150 years. The applications are due for both of the sesquicentennial farm and the century farm applications are both due on March 2nd, and the applications can be found on the Minnesota Farm Bureau website website under our program tab area and the criteria are outlined on those respective programs but uh, speaking strictly towards the Century Farm program the farm must be at least 100 years old according to authentic land records in continuous family ownership for at least 100 years continuous residence on the farm is not required and at least 50 acres and currently be involved in agricultural production. Once those farms have been recognized, they will always be a century farm or always be a sesquicentennial farm. What is the presence for the century farms at the state fair and how are the stories of these farms kind of shared and, and brought to life for the general public? For each one, it's very unique and different, especially since counties uh, choose to recognize those um, farm families uniquely because every one of our 87 counties are unique and different. And and so it's really fun to see how the county agricultural societies or the county fairs together with the county farm bureaus recognize them on a local level. And then at the Minnesota State Fair, we recognize them in our farm bureau building. But last year we had a really neat opportunity working with the State Fair where we were able to have a float in their daily parade. And then we had a day designated where those Century and Sesquicentennial Farm families could be on that float during one of their daily parades, which was really fun. Then in addition, some of the county um, newspapers and such pick that information up and the county historical societies and do a wonderful historical piece on those farm families. And honestly, those applications are really interesting and their stories are amazing. Why is it important to give these Century Farm families a platform for this type of recognition? Well, first and foremost, we owe a deep amount of gratitude for the hard work and dedication that these farm families put into providing food, fiber, feed, and fuel to our families and our our nation for 100 years and for some of them then as a sesquicentennial family for 150 years. Their dedication to the land and what it produces and to those animals is just utterly amazing and we owe a deep amount of gratitude. So it's our pleasure to be able to recognize their their commitment to a better America. What's the feedback you get or hope to get from the general public through this process about things they learned or appreciated more by learning about some of the oldest farms in the state? I think 
once we really reflect on what our history has to offer, we grow as a society, and these farm families are truly appreciated by those that have the opportunity to learn from them. Among those with longer-running farms, what kind of pride have you seen them take in being recognized or really even reaching the year's threshold to be able to submit an application, hitting that 100-year mark? Oh, the permagrins on their faces tell the stories. They're, the the dedication and commitment these families have to each other and to their communities and achieving this goal is just such an amazing and wonderful and truly earned moment. Farmers have certainly taken their lumps in many ways in recent years, as the Bureau has seen, but not easy to sustain a family-run operation. What's the positive message of recognizing these century farms? I want those farm families and Farm Bureau and the State Fair want those farm families to know that they are truly appreciated. We know that this journey is never easy or simple, but it is well-earned and that this recognition is well-deserved. Over 10,000 farms honored over the years. Do you have any favorite stories you've heard surrounding a century farm that resonates with you when you think of this program? It's very difficult to outline just one because as I've looked through those applications and we've made um, copies of these applications to go on our online database or to share with different historical societies, and all of them are housed at the Minnesota History Center as well, it's been amazing to see when they have their land information. It's signed by Abraham Lincoln or any other of these presidents that have founded our country. And it's just amazing to learn their history or how their family journeyed to that land and settled that land that every farm has an interesting story to share. Applications can be found on the Minnesota Farm Bureau's website and are due March 2nd. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Your surgery is over. Oh, it's over? What happened? Hi, Mr. Detweiler. Dr. Newman here. You have a new knee. It went great. You'll be up and around before you know it. And it's all because of you. Uh, what did I do? You were captain of Team Detweiler. You told us everything we needed to know. Your medical history, your allergies and prescription meds. You asked me tons of questions. What your options to surgery might be, what to expect during recovery. You even asked me how many knee replacements I've already done. Huh. I guess I did kind of run the whole operation, didn't I? Mr. Detweiler, we couldn't have done it without you. Patient safety. It takes a team. And patient involvement is key. A public service message from the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. With more tips at orthoinfo.org slash patient safety. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. Accountants across the state are headed into a busy time of year, the 2020 income tax filing season. Tasha Radel has more. That's right, Scott. Tis the season of taxes. Both state and federal officials are now accepting and processing returns for tax year 2019. For many of us, our fingers are crossed we'll be getting a refund and not having to pay into Uncle Sam. Joining me to talk about filing year returns is Cynthia Bowerly, Commissioner of the Minnesota Department of Revenue. We want 
about Minnesotans to know that we are open for filing, just as the IRS is. And when you go to file your taxes, after you have all the documents that you need, we uh, really encourage people to file electronically and choose direct deposit for your refund. Over 90% of taxpayers filed their taxes electronically, and we want to keep moving that number up. And almost three out of four Minnesotans had their uh, any their refund deposited directly into their bank accounts, which of course is much faster. So we are looking forward to working with taxpayers as we head into this filing season, and we will have until April 15th for Minnesotans to file their taxes this year. And you know, Commissioner, another thing too that is always on um, people's minds is, you know, when we look at refund fraud. And um, obviously you folks there at the state have different protections in place, but could the refund take a little bit longer due to these added protections? Unfortunately, criminals have figured out that in addition to stealing information, people's personal information to open credit cards or other accounts, they can also file fraudulent refund claims. And so we make sure that we are getting the right refund to the right person. We take this responsibility very seriously. So we're going to take the time necessary to review and verify information. We will let Minnesotans know if we see any concerns or if we get two ref- or returns from an individual. Uh, sometimes that can happen, and we have have often uh, let Minnesotans know, and then they figure out that they've been the victim of identity theft. So we really encourage folks to make sure make sure you verify all of your information and get that filed correctly, and then look for uh, your refund. Uh, we'll get things as done as quickly as possible, but it might take a little bit more time than it has in past years. You can track where your refund is in the process by using our Where's My Refund system. So if you go to our website, you can find Where's My refund and you'll be able to track exactly which stage of our four-stage process uh, your refund is in and your return is in and then you will see the date that your refund was issued. We really encourage people to not spend that refund until you've got it in your bank account and it's ready to go. And then lastly any major changes uh, I guess uh, to, to taxes this year that Minnesotans should be on the lookout for? There was a significant tax bill passed as a part of last year's uh, legislative session, and all of our systems and forms have been updated to account for those. Uh, there was a rate cut that was uh, passed, the first rate cut uh, in the in about 20 years. And we've also increased the working family credit, an important credit for working families across the state of Minnesota. So there are some new opportunities in the tax code. And again, those have all been integrated into forms and to systems. And so again, this is where electronic filing is really beneficial because those electronic filing systems, the software that you can access either through a vendor or many Minnesotans are eligible to access that software for free. If you go to the Minnesota Department of Revenue website, and you put the keyword free file into our search box, you will come up with options for electronic filing software that is free to you depending on your income, about $60,000 or so or less. Sometimes veterans, folks who are elderly have access to that. And the benefit of that software is it will walk you through questions and you don't have to remember exactly what laws changed in 2019. The software will walk you through those questions and make sure you get the refund that you are entitled to. All right. Well, lots of great information, Commissioner. Anything else that you wanted to add that I didn't hit on today? I want to make sure people know that as a part of their uh, tax forms, they're going to see an opportunity to uh, register to vote. Uh, It's an election year, and it's important that all eligible voters are registered, and so they can do that uh, as they uh, get their taxes prepared and make sure that they uh, follow through that link to get to the Secretary of State's website and get registered to vote this year as well.
Thanks again to my guest, Cynthia Bowerly, Commissioner of the State Department of Revenue. The deadline to file a 2019 tax return and pay any tax owed is Wednesday, April 15th of this year. For more information on this year's tax guidelines, you can head to the State Department of Revenue's website. That address is revenue.state.mn.us. Again, that's revenue.state.mn.us. Back to you, Scott. Thank you, Tasha. That's going to do it for this week. Thank you for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.